Hey there folks, this is episode 123 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants ideas and maybe a dose of inspiration to help you enjoy your job and raise more money. This time, if you've ever wondered how to go about furthering your charity's fundraising or mission with the help of celebrities or other influencers, then I hope you're going to find this episode really encouraging. Because today I'm sharing another interview I carried out recently with Paul Katz, who is hugely experienced in this space. Paul is based in New York and has spent the last 18 years through his company Entertain Impact, helping charities and social impact organisations to increase their impact through campaigns involving influencers from sport, music and show business. In episode 119, which we released around the time Paul published his excellent new book, Good Influence, he explained the five-step process he's developed over the last 18 years. In that episode, we particularly focused on how you secure the help of influential people in the first place. But there was plenty more I wanted Paul's help with, so I set up this follow-up conversation. This time, we get Paul's tips on the crucial subject of research, activations, as in what you ask the influencer to actually do to help your charity, and measurement. I found Paul's ideas really helpful, and I hope that you do too. Hello again, Paul. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. So happy that you invited me back a second time. Yeah, well, I really enjoyed that first chat talking about the influencer effect and things that charities and nonprofits can proactively do to amplify their success, the good they do, by using this effect, by reaching out to influencers and other celebrities to do that successfully. So thank you for sharing those ideas. I recommend our listeners go back to that other episode anyway. And also, you know, if they like what we're talking about, then your book is really worth a look. It's called Good Influence. And as you said last time, it comes out of 17 or 18 years of you doing this stuff with influencers and celebrities and people through your company, Entertain Impact. So I recommend that first listen anyway. But basically, last time, there was way more I wanted to ask you. Before I get on to a couple of these new topics, maybe it would help if we just ground it in your main five-step model that you teach through the book, The Dream Model. If you could just remind us of a a top-line notion of what those five steps are, and then out of that, we may go into some new topics that we didn't cover last time. Yeah, I'll be brief on that um, because you have the prior episode. So we have the influencer effect, which is the effect of a a well-known public figure on a desired audience and how they can affect them to make decisions which raise support, awareness, uh, inspire people to act right programs. And then to achieve that through my 17 years of working in this space, we've refined uh, a program through 100 campaigns now called the DREAM method, D-R-E-A-M. And DREAM stands for design your action plan. You need a roadmap. You need to know where you're going. And then research, because research is fundamental, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. Um, to engage, how do you go and ask somebody to come and join your campaign if they're an influencer? And then, and then activate. What's the activation you're going to have that the public are going to see that's going to make them want to do something for your cause? And then lastly, measurement. Did you move the needle? That's why we're here. So that, that's the dream, the dream uh, methodology. Fabulous. And one of the things we went into quite a lot of depth last time was how on earth do we get through to someone who would be a great influencer for us, but they're not laying awake waiting for our call. We're nowhere near them. 
but you found there are systematic things you can do that dramatically increase your chances of getting through to, to enough of them to make your campaign work. But for today, one of the things I wanted to find out more about from last time was the, the R, the research bit, in terms of working out who those people, be 10, 20, 30 of them to suit your outcome, who they would be and why you think they might say yes. I wonder if you could share a little bit more depth to help us practically get on with that step. I'd be happy to. Research is really fundamental. The better research, the better you're going to reach these desired audiences that are difficult to reach through advertising or other methods, but where influencers, especially social media creators for Gen Z or Gen Z, I should say. And I, I would say all our influencers work pro bono. You know, they volunteer their services because of the research, because we're very directed about what connects to their, their heart and their passion and their history. So if my mum was a music teacher, even if I'm an actor, that's a, that's, that, that, that's a great way of getting them involved in, say, music education. And so we've worked, for example, with, uh, with Kevin Bacon, who's, who's got a band with his brother, Michael, who's a well-known composer called the Bacon Brothers. They are fantastic. They have a, uh, Kevin has this thing called sixdegrees.org, which is a foundation that does wonderful work with different organizations, also using the power of influencers for social change in local communities, as well as on a bigger scale. By getting the right match, you're going to have much more impact. But we don't just look for one influencer. We want many influencers for a number of reasons. Number one is reputation. If everything that I'm doing is on this one person, and all of a sudden they do some craziness, not that we've ever touched wood had, had it happen in, in 17 plus years, it's not a good situation. So research cuts out a lot of the people that you really don't want. And if, you, if you've got a doubt, don't do it. There's a, there's a wonderful book that's by a Stanford professor called Essentialism. And that book says, unless it's an absolute yes, it should be a no. And that's a good creed, I think. So unless you really, really think they're great for you, there's plenty of other fish in the sea, go, go fishing. What we do is we look for several. We want, we want to have a, a, a tiered system, but we want several influencers to be part of the course. And the reasons for that are, are, are threefold. One is, which I've already mentioned, reputation. If something happens to one, you've got plenty of other people and that dilutes any damage that can be done. And again, I would just stress, we've never had that situation. And nor have many people who, who've just gone by themselves to, to, to work with influencers in local communities around the country or the world in our, in our work. This, the second reason is availability. If you're in the middle of the soccer season or football season, or if you're shooting a film, or if you're on a family vacation, you're not going to want to be available, irrespective of how much you're passionate about a particular cause. But if you have many people, you will find somebody who will be perfect for your event or your op-ed or gala or whatever it is. And then the third one is, well, influencers in part um, are to reach desired audiences. And there's not one desired audience. The general public is way too broad a definition. But if you're looking, and I'll give you an American example here, if you're looking for Latinx, there's a big difference between the Cuban population in Miami and the Mexican population in Los Angeles. Different people, different influences would, would apply to really to get them. And even within, say, the Latinx LA population, you know, a mother at home who's got an MBA who comes from Mexico is very different from, you know, somebody who's a Cuban, you know, came out of the Castro re regime, you know, politically, culturally, just the people they relate to. 
age group demographics etc all this plays into it so um those are those th those influences get you to different audiences so reputation availability and getting to desired audiences do great research have several of them and you're trying to build this cohort up that's very valuable which we'll get to in measurement when you say in the book you talk about having a tiered approach could you top line explain what you mean by that and how it makes us more efficient and increases the chances that people will say yes to what suits them of course yes it's very simple if i have tier one let's say it's harry kane right from tottenham he's gonna have limited availability but he's got broad appeal england captain and all that and so with him you're not going to get many opportunities to get him live in person and when you do, they better be special opportunities that are going to have a good appeal. On the other hand, there might be some younger actors, musicians, athletes, whomever, that are starting their career that are going to be much more available. Well, you're getting them at the start of their career. They could grow with you. I'll give you an example. I think Millie, Millie Bobby Brown. I think mm -hmm. that's um, the Sherlock Holmes movie that I just watched. She, she was the star. She was eight, I think, when uh, when... Um, the UN agency, I want to say it's UNICEF, but I'm not completely sure it is, got involved with her, youngest ever ambassador. She's obviously older now. She's been at conferences. She's done trips. She's very engaged on a long-term basis and has obviously risen in terms of public acknowledgement and esteem for her acting abilities. And, and Emma Watson is, is an older example of that with women and young girls' her education. The ones who are tier three, we'll call them, they can do more and are more willing to do it, and you grow with them. So there might be a social media post. You might have, it's a pyramid. Mar Marcus Rashford, Rashford, the Manchester United player, who comes from a home where his mum worked three jobs, amazing woman. He wrote this letter to the prime minister, but I think it was Boris Johnson, when they were going to cut back on school meals in the, or summer feeding. That made a huge difference with the charity that he worked with, not only in terms of funding, but actually getting something done, which is ultimately is what we all want to do. And so that was a very limited ask. He grew up hungry. So, or maybe not, maybe his mum was the hungry one, I think, because she, she gave up for her, her kids. Whereas if you have 30 others who are in, the, in that kind of world dealing with, with food insecurity, they might all do a social media post for you. Much easier ask than going and writing an open letter to Boris Johnson. But that's, that's an example, I think. If I could, we're doing a campaign partnership for maternal and maternal and child health on adolescents and young people, mm -hmm. uh, which is going to result in a big conference in October about, um, you know, growth, security, health, education, that kind of thing. And we're looking at influences in individual countries, Chile, et cetera, as well as kind of more global influences. So I think it's directing to different audiences, d different languages as well, for example, important to reach audiences. So that is, that's basically the approach. One thing I'm getting from these conversations Paul, is that as a consumer of media, I've sometimes had the impression that there was the one Hollywood A-list ambassador that supported a certain cause. And what that may be to a general audience, the bit that gets the headlines in the newspaper as well. But it seems to me that in all of these campaigns, the whole game is not about just one person. <laughs> Apart from anything else, what if that person says no? But it's it may be that a few really catch the limelight and and many people know about them. But for any of these campaigns yeah. to really be successful, there's been a thought through range of at each of the tiers. Yeah. Of what level of person 
has mega number of followers, but the downside to asking them will be, for instance, how much can they do? But then going down to tier two, tier three, tier four, it's just a much more thoughtful approach. So you're working, A, yeah. making appropriate, if and when someone says yes, you're making an appropriate ask to suit what they might want to do and can do. And B, you're playing a numbers game so that you're, you're never just putting all your eggs in one basket. That, that, that you should be sitting on this side of the table because that's exactly right. And in the book, Good Influence, and in the website, goodinfluencebook.com, there are exam- research grids and real, real world examples that you can actually utilize and see how that works. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to get a, an ask that might not even be public ask. We, we did a campaign which, which was to do with uh, some government funding where we had a major music artist have a quiet word with a senator from California. On the other hand, Rihanna did something with Macron, the French president, on girls and education where they committed $280 million as a result of her actions. So it was much more public. We, we did a campaign recently called Go Give One with the World Health Foundation about vaccine equity. The rich countries got the vaccines early with COVID. Other ones, other countries who couldn't afford them were kind of much further back in the supply chain. This was a campaign that they did to countries that had got the vaccines. You got a vaccine. It was called Go Give One. Give $4 in America, £4 in the UK to buy a vaccine for a country elsewhere. We had a million dollar grant from Elma Immunization um, and Vaccination Foundation. And basically, we raised uh, enough money to buy 500,000 vaccines. And that was done from it being announced by Elton John and Angelique Kijot at a concert in Paris with Global Citizen. Hi, it's Rob. And I wanted to let you know about our two flagship training programs. That's Major Gifts Mastery and Corporate Partnerships Mastery. And they both start again in early May, 2023. These programs help you make progress through a combination of masterclasses with me and individual coaching support. To give you an idea of the difference they can make, Here's a short clip from Beatrice Sayer, who you may remember was our guest on episode 122 and who took part in our most recent Corporate Mastery program. When I say it now, it all sounds so simple, but it wasn't something I was doing before. And, and it's made a huge difference to how I've approached my fundraising. We've had some some really exciting wins off the back of it from the Times Appeal, where our applications spoke so strongly to kind of what we'd learned through the Corporate Mastery Programme, which raised over a million pounds for us as a charity, through to smaller wins with law firms, where I was able to put in practice the magic formula in my presentation style. So I found it brilliant. I love meeting other fundraisers across the space and found it so helpful kind of hearing their own examples and their challenges and kind of how they'd made best use of the programme. And also just creating that network of like-minded fundraisers has been really kind of inspiring and and helpful um, just to have that kind of support network. So yeah, absolutely loved it. To find out more about either programme, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. And if you have any questions, do get in touch. For now, let's get back to Paul's advice about working with influencers. Another of the sections of the book that I really enjoyed, Paul, was to do with the A of your model, the activations and the examples you give there, just to help us creatively realise what could work. Because ultimately, however great the influencer, if the concept, if the activity just isn't quite there, doesn't matter how famous the person is, does it? So if you could give us some of the things you've learned about how to make those activations likely to succeed. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a like a great singer. You need a great song, and then you have a hit record. Otherwise, you've got a lovely voice, and uh, but nothing much else. And, and what's also interesting here is the public don't know anything that's gone on up to that point. You're just at the starting line. What they're going to see is what you produce. So I think it's really important to be creative and not generic with the with the activations that you do because you're competing against businesses and entertainment and lots of other things to get people to really focus. I, I divide activations into three areas and I, I do this from like a film background. It's pre-production, production, post-production. Pre pre-production is setting everything up well so that you can execute in an economic and efficient and stress-free way. And that includes things like creating the, you know, revising the budget and making sure there aren't 47 people coming along and you're paying for all of them. Very simple things like that, or getting a really good photographer, but doing it four weeks ahead of time and not two days before because it's going to limit your choices and your costs, that, that kind of thing. And then with production, which is really the night or the day or whatever you're doing, the book could influence. I, I give things like um, send a car, pick somebody up, because that way you know they're going to get picked up and they're going to remember. We had a case where um, one particular nonprofit, which I, I don't want to name, they're lovely, but uh, they, they decided after agreeing for somebody to go visit a, a specific, I think it was a food bank, not to pay for the car. We paid for the car because A, you never renege on these things. And B, the amount of publicity that came from it, if you which we'll get into in the measurement section a bit later, was just, you know, it's worth tens of thousands of dollars over a $300 car. It's just not, not, didn't make sense to me. And so how you execute is really, really important. And so we, we say in the book, who's the person that's going to be with the influencer if they go to your gala? What, who's dealing with a prepared speech? Hey, take a, a run of show with you. You know, which says what's going to happen. Take a, give contacts out. You know, very basic things that we've made mistakes of in the past that, that would really be helpful, or even a talent release. You know, if you're going to take someone's photo, you're obviously going to want to have their approval, but you also want to know you have the rights to use it. All these things you're going to find in the book in very um, simple ways. You're going to find it on goodinfluencebook.com, actual talent releases that you can use. I'm not a well, actually, I'm a lawyer by training, but I totally don't have practice for decades. The talent release is this. It's a piece of paper that says, I can use your photo or video for the purposes intended, i.e. charitable activities, and you, you sign that. Um, you'll see that type of thing in, in the book and on the website. And also, kind of, do you need a contract with somebody? Most cases, absolutely not. An email exchange is perfectly fine. But these kind of things we talk about in the book, so at least you're thinking about what you need um, so you never put something out without approval, for example. I wouldn't want to put my photo out without me looking and saying, yeah, I don't look like a complete idiot. That's my better side. If you're a, an influencer, whether you're a social media creator or a kind of more of an actor, mainstream, uh, although that's merging a lot now, you want to know that you're presented in a proper way because you're giving up your equity, your time, and more to support this cause. You you, you want to make sure that it's uh, your persona is, is is presented in a proper and appropriate way. I guess that makes sense, Paul. And and I mean, this is such a big bit of it, isn't it? But uh, in the time we've got available, any other thoughts you've got to help us in terms of doing the activation step right? Well, I would just say, make sure that you do really great creative work because the influencers could have standards, you're going to have standards, but mainly because you want to be enticing to the people that you're going after to get them to, to, to act. And you do that by having great content and storytelling. A lot of it's about storytelling. And then in the post-production stage, which is I did that bit, 
there is a there is a a, a a saying i think it's a zen one that says if a tree falls in a forest and no one hears did it fall well within my world if you didn't get a press release out nobody heard that tree it's one thing to do it and you have that audience but really you want to get it out to the world so it's picked up by the media social networks social posting you know whether it's instagram tiktok clubhouse whatever you're using it's really important get it out quickly because yesterday's news is no news and we can all do lots of analogies about fish and chips but we won't um so that's really what i'd say prepare well execute on the day have fun you know it's it's kind of a fun thing as well and then get it out into the world that, those are the really three big tips i think that makes sense paul and one thing i really wanted to do a little bit more detail on is the m of your model the measurement and just to reassure us, if we're in a smaller organization, that we don't need to hire an agency to do this. All of these steps, actually, one can do oneself, including this organized approach to measurement. If you could give us some tips on that. Measurement is, is to me, the end result of why we do things. So we're either going to move the needle, we're going to fail. I often will succeed and fail in the same campaign, but I really learn from that. And it also helps in terms of the next campaign or organizational activity that I want. So I think it's really, really important to, to know, did we make a difference? And so it's not very tricky to do. Anybody, any one organization can do it. You don't have to be particularly sophisticated. I don't have a measurement background. I've learned over time. And I think I, I divide measurement up into two areas. I think there's tactical measurement and there's impact measurement. Tactical measurement is the things that you do along the way to get to the end result. And that might be something as simple as, say, social media. Did you increase the amount of followers or engagement or retweets or whatever it is that you're looking for? Did you get more people to come to your website? So that's that's kind of tactical. And, and some of that tact, uh, tactical measurement um, then folds into what I think is ultimate measurement, where you're, where you're much more a smaller part of things. So let, let me give an example of, of that, which falls into two, two areas. There's ROI and SROI. Return on investment, chief financial officers want that. And you can do things like ad equivalency. It's very easy to look up on the web. There's lots of places that you can get that. But if I'd have done an advert or got this out versus the earned media that you will get through an influencer, earned media meaning you're not paying for it, people are picking it up and doing it not just through their social media posts, but maybe, you know, a, uh, a newspaper or another blog says, hey, that so-and-so is doing this and you increase your visibility. That's very easy to measure, very simple. Whereas, whereas we all know that social media, you can go on Google Analytics and look. And then there's the, the social return is, did we really make a difference? So let me give you an example with uh, Elmer, Elmer Music Foundation, which operates in the US, um, an organization I'm very fond of. And basically... They have a group of youth community centers around the country in the Bronx, in South Central LA. There's about 18,000 young people, 14 to 22 here. Music brings them in. It gets them in. It keeps them in. It's the stickiness of youth development. And then you give them what we call wraparound services, education, health, immigration services. And then you hopefully get them to college or to trade, whatever their desire is. Well, that, that's fantastic. And we can certainly look at information that says their academics do better, they're not truant from school, nothing to do with us in a direct fashion. So you cannot claim anything to do with that. Don't overstate your value. That's really important. Better to understate it because credibility is on the line here. It's their parents, it's the teacher, it's the uncles, the aunts that help that stuff. But what we can measure and we have measured at, at Elma is 
social emotional learning. When they're at these youth community centers and we're nine, 10, 11 years supporting them. So we've got a good longitudinal study. How do they interact with their peers? Are there, is that, do they have confidence? And you can see that just go like a hockey stick, boom, over the course of two, say two, two or three semesters. And so I think that we can genuinely say we make a difference. And then one more thing I love from your book, Paul, was this phrase, the, the multi-pack and this, this notion of a, a three-way relationship and being thoughtful and proactive in seeing the power of these three working together it really multiplies the effect. Could you share what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. Multi-pact is, is basically, uh, well, let me go back one little step. Nonprofit working with influencer does really good. Business working with influencer for commercial purposes raises stock price, raises revenues. Michael Jordan is a very good example of that with uh, Air Jordan. If you can get all of them together, the business, the nonprofit, and the influencer, the effect is not just one plus one plus one equals three. It's exponentially much greater. And that's been proven, uh, but not done a lot. So if you have corporate fundraisers, I think it would be really useful to think if you can, you can get the, you can reach out to your business clients, but you add an influencer and it'll amplify everything. That makes sense. Well, so thank you so much, Paul, for coming back and doing this second episode, sharing more advice, more examples. I really appreciate it. Wish you all the best of luck with the book. And uh, maybe we'll catch up at another time and, and hear how you're getting on. But for now, thank you so much, Paul. Take care. Great. Thank you, everybody. I hope you found our chat helpful. Paul's book, Good Influence, is available on Amazon. And as usual, you can find a full transcript of the episode in the podcast section of my website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. If you've not already subscribed to the Fundraising Brightspot show, please do that now. This will immediately get you access to many more helpful episodes on a broad range of fundraising topics in the back catalogue, including the original episode with Paul, which is number 119. Now, if you're a corporate or a major donor fundraiser and you're determined to lift your results this year, we're now accepting bookings for our next Corporate Mastery Programme and Major Gifts Mastery Programme, which start again in May 2023. To find out more, check out the information on our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. If you enjoyed today's episode and you think it would help other people too, then please do take a moment to spread the word with colleagues or on social media so that we can get this content out to help as many people as possible. I really appreciate your help. Paul and I would love to hear what you think. You can get in touch or tag us both on LinkedIn. And on Twitter, Paul is at Paul Katz, NYC. His surname is spelled K-A-T-Z. And I am at Woods underscore Rob. Thank you so much for listening today. Best of luck with your fundraising and your influencing. And I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot ideas with you very soon. Mm-hmm.